Hello and welcome to the Florida State of Recruiting Podcast. We are the three stars and we are excited to be talking to you post early signing day, Florida State uh, with a pretty successful class. My name is Tim Allenball. I'm joined by David Stout, Josh Pick, again, three stars, Tomahawk Nation, talking early signing day. David, Josh, how are you guys doing? David, let's start with you. Uh, how are things treating you now that you've escaped the state of Florida? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. My wife and I, we're, we're doing like all the life changes all at once. I don't know what we were thinking, but <laughs> two new jobs, moved to a new state, uh, have a, now have a six week old baby. Um, going to close on a house here soon. Like, well, I, we're going to look back on this year, 20 years from now and be like, what the hell? Like, why did we do this to ourselves? But all good things, all blessings, but uh, just, just exhausted. Welcome to the rest of your life as a father, yeah. David. Exhausted yeah, forever. Man. Yeah, man. <laughs> Josh, how are you doing, sir? Man, I'm doing well. Just happy to welcome uh, my friend Dr. Stout to the sun to the Tar Heel State now. <laughs> yeah, you guys are living it up in, in Carolina. Now that you guys are going to storm the uh, ACC headquarters to uh, help staple the uh, or nail. The, the legal decision to leave the ACC to the to the doors, a la Martin Luther, it's going to be great. You guys are going to take a stand for Florida State fans everywhere. So I appreciate yeah, it. We've, we've got our pitchforks and torches lit, and we're ready to go. <laughs> if you had 95 theses on your bingo card, go ahead and knock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you were listening today and, and had 95 theses, like that's a, that's a cover-all uh, space. You just, you just won. Uh, contact Perry. He'll get you a Tomahawk Nation bandana or something like that. But hey, let's talk Florida State recruiting. Early signing day was yesterday. Definitely had some downs, but really overall uh, a win for Florida State uh, currently on the 24-7. Number nine overall, 15 four stars out of 22 commits, an average of 91. If you look at the overall rating when you throw in uh, Marvin Jones Jr. knocks him down to ten because of some of the other transfers that came in. But uh, this is a this is a good class. It, it's Norvell's top class since he's been at Florida State. He really got some key position with some guys that were borderline five stars. Uh, David, let me start with you. Your overall thoughts, overall feelings about the 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 Tribe Twenty Four early signing class. So, you know, I have to say it feels really good to see so many people complaining about a top 10 recruiting class again at Florida State, right? Like we we went through the doldrums where we were hovering around number 20, number 21 and all that. And, and now here we are. It's, a, you know, a, the the actual day of the signings was, you know, not not as not a ton of good news coming in there, but um, still Mike Norvell has a top 10 recruiting class and, and this is the climb, right? Like every year Norvell has been here. The record has gotten better every year he's been here. He has had a better and better recruiting class. This is his best recruiting class um, yet, but um, you know, I, I think it's important FSU fans in particular are notorious for really focusing on the negatives of what happens on signing periods and in recruiting classes. But um, it's important to remember that a lot of really good kids did sign with Florida state. And it's, we need to be respectful of that because these guys really do want to be at Florida state and, and uh, you know, have a great blue chip ratio for this class. It's right around 70%. I think it's right around like, I think it's 68% blue chip ratio. Um, you've got uh, all but five of the 22 
signees are from the state of Florida or Georgia, which is exactly what you want to see if you're a Florida State fan. That's a great strategy as far as the region goes. Um, and and they, they not only brought in some really talented kids, but uh, they brought in some kids who are going to be great brand ambassadors for the program. I mean, Luke Cromano gives you just about everything you would want in a prep quarterback on the field and off the field. Great teammate, great brand ambassador. Cam Davis. I mean, there, there's a lot of guys that – uh, this program can really market in addition to, um, you know, being really good players on the field. So I'm excited to talk more about the positives and we'll certainly, you know, we're not sunshine pumpers by any means. So we're going to talk about the the problems and ask some tough questions too. Yeah, Josh, let me have you jump in, get your overall thoughts before we kind of dive more into like maybe offensive defensive side and go from there. Yeah. I mean, I see a lot of people check it, check a little and, uh, the sky is falling and this and that and the other. And, oh, my gosh, Miami, look at their class. Miami signed, like, what, like 17 three-stars or something something absurd? I don't know. But Florida State had a 68% blue-chip percentage. You get your quarterback of the future in Luke K. You got two stud running backs. You got four really nice receivers. You got Landon Thomas, who's arguably the top tight end in the country. You got some nice bodies on the offensive line. And that defensive secondary class is incredible. Yeah, I mean, the, the secondary class, despite the departure of Bolton, still receiving some national uh, attention and, and definitely uh, probably my favorite part of the class, to be honest, once we really dive into this more. Um, let's start on, on the offensive side of the ball, though. Uh, David, what position do you feel like was the strength of the offensive side of the recruiting this, this, uh, this cycle? You know, I have to say there there's not a single position on the offensive side of the ball that I'm disappointed in. Um, you know, I think when you look at just the quality of player, uh, quarterback and tight end are in excellent shape. Um, like Josh said, you got two really good complimentary running back prospects. You know, a guy like Cam, who's already, I mean, you could put him in FSU's running back rotation this this year. He's already built like a college running back and very productive kid. And uh, Makai Danzi, who's got incredible speed as well. But, of course, you know with me, it's it's got to be the wide receivers. I think this is a top five uh, national wide receiver recruiting class. Um, you know, and that's, that's without Jeremiah Smith. Jeremiah Smith would have made it gone plat. I mean, I, if you had Jeremiah Smith to this wide receiver class, first of all, I think there's a good chance one of them probably would have decommitted with that. But um, – you add him to this, there's no, nobody can touch you in this, this cycle. But uh, even without him, I still think it's top five because you have four different guys and all four of them bring a unique skill set. Um, I, I absolutely love Elijah Moore. I think he is severely underrated. I think he's a top 75 kid. Um, fantastic build, fantastic catch radius. Uh, he's willing blocker. I, I love his game and his potential. Um, Luane McCoy is one of my favorites uh, in the entire class. He's going to start out at wide receiver, but you know, for all we know, he could be the next Xavier Rhodes and, and go on the, the flip side. If they need uh, more playmakers in the secondary, I think he has the potential to start at either wide receiver or defensive back um, by the time he's done in Tallahassee. And then you have two really, uh, you know, kind of afterthoughts that a lot of people aren't talking about in BJ Gibson and, and um, Camden Fryer. And I mean, I love both of their games. Camden Fryer and BJ Gibson are both really tough, like tough as nails kids. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about that group. And I think that, uh, 
you know, FSU should be able to redshirt some of them, which will be nice. And you're going to have a wide array of weapons. And, uh, you know, Mike Norvell is going to have a lot of fun playing around with the different matchups you can create with a wide receiver unit. Yeah, you know, you talk about McCoy, and I remember how excited you were when, when, when Florida State first got his commitment. But then McCoy just kind of almost became an afterthought for a while. There was thoughts he was going to decommit and go elsewhere. Uh, and then, you know, Jeremiah Smith, you know, we kind of came to bigger picture, but credit to McCoy stuck around and, and David, I know, like you said, this is a kid that has the talent to play on either side of the ball for sure. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, we, he was one that I almost had pegged that he was going to flip, uh, either to Miami or UCF where he could be the guy, um, instead of one of the guys, but, um, credit to to FSU staff and major credit to current FSU players Conrad Hussey and Edwin Joseph for doing a fan and uh, Hakeem Williams as well for doing a fantastic job recruiting him as well as the other commits in the class keeping him keeping him committed and uh, yeah I'm I'm thrilled that FSU was able to to keep him in this class because he's a difference maker. Gosh, if I can get you to weigh in on the offensive side. Uh, outside of wide receiver, what's the position that, you know, you're, you're most blown away by or impressed with, with what Florida state did? Um, well, I mean, anytime you can get a, a fringe five-star quarterback who is great on and off the field, I mean, it's tough to, to not just be through the roof about that, especially when you look at who Miami got, uh, you know, Hey, Miami's class again, like they loaded up in some nice positions. Like I wish we did better linebacker, offensive line, defensive line, whatever. But, like, they just brought in another crappy prep quarterback. Like, eventually that's going to bite you in the rear end. Um, Thunder and lightning in the backfield. You got two different guys who can take it to the house on any single touch. Um, I think that's great. Uh, you only signed one tight end. But, again, like, Landon Thomas is a stud. Um, the wide receiver classes, David talked about, four different skill sets there. And and offensive – I guess my only complaint would be Maybe you didn't have an uh, an early impact guy in the offensive line. Like if you could replace a Jaden Todd, who's more of a project with a an all American type kid. Like maybe that's my only complaint on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, the the, the miss on Jason Zandamella, uh, one that definitely sticks out because I think even talking about last year, that's a kid we we pegged and thought, oh, Florida State's you know in the driver's seat there. Uh, yep. I, I think Florida State missed out by not having uh, you know. Uh, 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 ITT, I, I always say it wrong, uh, as an early entry. Uh, I, I wish that they could have got him in there because I think that would have been really good. I I think some of these uh, these offensive linemen may be a little underrated because uh, they are projects, but I'll tell you what they did this year is they definitely went with size. They got some bigger guys coming in, um, you know, that maybe two or three years down the road we'll see in the rotation where, you know, in the past we've we've seen – Players like Darius Washington, who I, you know, think is amazing, uh, and players like Mo Smith that are fighting through it, but guys that are smaller frames overall. And so uh, I'm excited about potentially a a large Florida State offensive line at some point in the future. Uh, Josh, let me let me go to the defensive side. Uh, I feel like it's a it's a layup question here, but the position group that you feel like uh, was the best on the defensive side. Well. Let's just put it this way. There's only one position group that I think is even good on the defensive side of the ball. <laughs> and that's the defensive secondary. And um, yeah, I'm pumped about all four of those kids. Like Ricky Knight is probably the one I'm least excited about, but like that kid, number one is a fighter. Um, he's athletic. He's got long arms. 
he's got versatility. Like he can play him outside. Like he, he went up against Jeremiah Smith and held his own in South Florida this season, but I wouldn't be surprised to see that move him aside, throw him in the slot. And I think he could do very well there. So I think it's incredible. Obviously Charles Lester, like we talked about, Oh, Florida state lost two five stars on, on signing day, but Charles Lester is a fringe five star and was a five star at one point. Luke Cromenhawk, fringe five star, five star at one point. Landon Thomas, fringe five star. So like, there are three five stars in this class, whether or not they ended up as five star, just to get that off my chest. But uh, I think I mean, Kai Bates, is, I think Kai Bates is an incredible Sam player. I think. Five star. Yeah. So I, I think I think that that secondary is just incredible. Charles Lester, uh, Jamari Howard, so physical. Here you mentioned Xavier Rhodes earlier. Uh, Jamari Howard reminds me a lot of Xavier Rhodes. Just a kid, a, 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 a cornerback that's willing to get his hands on you and, and fight and tackle and come up and knock some knock some heads. So I really. Really like what Sertan and Adam Fuller did with that secondary class. David, I, to, to Josh's point, you know, I don't know if there's much that you want to discuss uh, at linebacker or uh, at the defensive front. But, you know, I, I did talk uh, to a friend of mine that that has some college connections uh, about White on, on the line. Uh, and he's, he's blown away by him and thinks that he's severely underrated. Uh, I, I kind of asked some thoughts there, and he's talking about how, you know, for 6'4", 330, the, the amount of bend that he already has, uh, great for those short yardage bursts and, and and can really get off the ball for his size. So I, I think that while he's only a three-star, I do think he's severely underrated. And when you see and really break down his abilities, that defensive line recruiting, though it's lacking, did get a nice addition in white. Yeah, I agree, Tim. I, I would have him as a four star. Um, I'm I'm kind of surprised that he did not have a larger, wider net uh, with his recruitment. I I know that there may have been some grade issues early on that spooked some some other programs, but as far as we know, he's a qualifier and he's fine. But uh, I agree with you. I I look at him as a four star. In fact, I you know I think I might even. I might even swap uh, the rankings for White and Holmes because Holmes has a lot of nice tools to work with, but he's, I mean, he, he's got to add some serious weight and bulk to his frame. He's, he's just too skinny right now. So, uh, you know, for what FSU eventually wants him to do. So, I, you know, I think I might even flop um, White in there as a four-star and then put Holmes as a high three-star. But, uh, yeah, just to, to really kind of drive Josh's uh, point home, this secondary class again is top five and, you know, people are going to focus obviously on Bolden and, and not landing Jeremiah Smith and, and all that stuff. But I'll tell you, if there were two position groups that you could weather a decommitment like that and not landing a top kid, it is wide receiver and defensive back. Um, important to note that every single defensive back signee is at least six feet tall. Uh, you got Ricky Knight, the third, he is six feet. He's six foot. Uh, Charles Lester, six foot one, and then Jamari Howard and um, uh, Kai Bates are both uh, six foot two and legit six foot two. And so, again, all of those guys bring a little bit different skill set, you know, with um, with Kai Bates. Speed is the name of the game, and he also played a lot of wide receiver. And so he's a little bit more cerebral with that. Uh, Ricky Knight is. 
like Josh said, I, I, I agree with Josh. I think he could thrive in the slot. I love his competitiveness and his instincts. Jamari Howard is, you're, you know, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a more physical, willing tackler than Jamari Howard. Um, I, I'm kind of surprised that FSU – maybe this is our fault, not hyping him up enough, but I'm kind of surprised that more FSU fans aren't talking about landing him because he is – I mean, he's a stud. He's, he's another one I think is easily a top 75 kid. And then you got Charles Lester, who is the the total package. I mean, Patrick Sertan is definitely we're seeing his type. He likes taller, more physical corners, um, and so I'm I'm excited to see where these guys end up and if they end up cross training some of them at safety and corner. And then uh, the other one I'll mention is um, one of the linebacker signees that that I also think is underrated. I, I don't know that I would put him as a four-star necessarily. I, I kind of like him as a high three-star. But uh, Jaden Parrish, I think, has a, a, a fairly high ceiling. Um, he really uh, opened some eyes in terms of his stat lines and his physicality this year. Uh, I think he's he's a solid bet to see some special times or some special teams play at times this coming year. Um, and I think he'll be a headhunter. He, he reminds me actually a little bit of a, a guy like Nick Moody to where he's going to make a tackle every now and again where you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, did, did Jaden Parrish just kill a guy? Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see how they develop him. And I think he's kind of a diamond in the rough. But, um, you know, like Josh said, I, you know, I said that there there really was not an offensive unit that I was disappointed in overall. Um, but I am disappointed in three of the four uh, defensive uh, units in this. And I think that's we really need to look hard at FSU strategy with with some of the high school recruiting at some of these positions. Um, but again, secondary lights out. Super excited about that one. Yeah. yeah and you go ahead, you go mentioned ahead. those three positions. I just want to say, like, that's three classes in a row with those three positions where it's not good enough. And like, yeah, you've done a really, really nice job in the portal. like. I think the portal is more sustainable than people thought it was at first, but their hit rate is probably not sustainable to that level. Yeah. Yeah. And and Josh, I think that's an area that we really want to focus on here in just a second, not to jump ahead, because I think that's a really good talking point and something that we want to, you know, really dive into a little bit more. Uh, But let me just rapid fire with you guys, some class superlatives, and then let's talk about where recruiting is lacking uh, to, to wrap up the end of the podcast. So let me ask you this, Josh, your favorite overall recruit uh, in this in this cycle yeah. or commit, yeah. I will, I will say, I will say, like, this could honestly be any one of, like, 10 guys. Like, that, yeah. that's, how ex- that's how excited I am about this class. Like, there are three guys in the secondary that I absolutely love. Um, both those running backs are incredible. The quarter, like – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Landon Thomas just because I think he can do it all at tight end. Like, he's not scared to block, and the kid's an athletic freak. And then a hard, like a, a quiet, hardworking type that's perfect for Chris Thompson and Mike Norvell. So I'm going to go with Landon Thomas, but, like, it honestly could be Coleman Hawk. It could be either of the running backs. It could be three of the guys in the secondary. Like, this is a very nice class. Yeah. All right, David, what about you? Best, the player that you uh, that you like the most? I really like Josh's choice. Um, and I think Landon Thomas, you're, you're going to see him sooner rather than later in that tight end rotation. He's just too good to keep off the field. Um, so for me, it comes down to, again, three guys. But I, I have to stick with my my position of, of choice. Elijah Moore, here it comes. I, 
I got to go with Elijah Moore, man. I, he just, I, I have these visions of Hakeem Williams split out wide to one side, Elijah Moore split out wide on the other, and you just pick your poison. And no matter who you pick, the other guy's going to punish you. Um, Elijah Moore, I think, was uh, when he committed to FSU, it was a little bit of a shock because we all thought that he was just going to go to Ohio State and, you know, team up with Jeremiah Smith and, and some of the other studs they have there and just kind of, keep on with the wide receiver U factory, but FSU was able to snag him. Um, and boy, what, what an addition I think he's going to be. He's another one. I, I, I'm really excited to see how he turns out because very similar to Hakeem Williams, not only is he a dynamic athlete and, and a danger to, to break a big play every time he gets the ball in his hands, but he's a willing blocker. He's a very coachable kid. Um, and that, to me, that's the difference. That's the difference with FSU wide receivers now versus maybe you know five or six years ago as you see these guys who they're not going to take a playoff just because they're not getting the ball. They're not going to run some half-assed route and pout about it. They're going to throw themselves into blocking, and so it's. I'm really excited to see them, and and um, you know Elijah Moore to me is just. I I'm so excited to see him in Garnet and Gold. Well, and just to jump in there quickly at the wide receiver room, like because of the job that Ron Dugans has done the last two jobs in the high school ranks, like you're having to fight to play, and like yep. that's going to make guys block. That's going to make guys run good routes. You know, like they're going to be dependable. They're going to work hard, or else they're not going to play. They're going to have to transfer out. That, that's an excellent point, Josh, because when you have so many guys and it's going to be the same way in the secondary, you're going to have to differentiate yourself somehow and blocking and tackling and, and a lot of things that tend to get overlooked at those skill positions. That's what differentiates you. Yeah, I think it's going to make the bowl game interesting uh, with with Hakeem and Andravius and, and others getting uh, the opportunity to uh, to go out there and play, uh, although, you know, the rest of the team may not be there, but we'll see what happens. But definitely the <laughs> wide receiver position is getting an overhaul. You guys both went offensive. Uh, let me flip it. Defensive player that you're you're most excited about, David. Uh, for me, it's Jamari Howard. I, I yeah. love Ricky Knight. I love Ricky Knight. <laughs> but um, Jamari Howard, to me, is he's got a chance to be the guy that comes out of this and is a true lockdown quarter cornerback for FSU. I'm really excited about how physical he is. Um, you know, FSU has had some really good cornerbacks come through the program and, you know, they've got some guys who have developed well recently as well, but uh, Jamari Howard's physicality and just his willingness to headhunt. I, I just love the way he approaches the game. I love his aggressiveness and I love his, uh, his football IQ. Josh. <sighs> Uh, to me, it's between Kai Bates and Charles Lester. I'm going to go with Kai Bates just because he's new to the position. Like I feel like Ooh. I feel like he's got an enormous upside because he's kind of just scratching the surface. He's a former wide receiver. Um, the, the staff loves his change of direction, and, and they said that he's got as good a ball skills as any defensive back in the country. Ooh, okay, Josh, I see you. I like that going potential. All right, l- let's talk about potential. Out of everybody that's in Florida State's class. When all is said and done, which player do you think has the most NFL potential? Uh, Josh, I'll start with you. Thanks, Tim. I need to think about this one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say Luke Cromanock. Yeah. I I I think that kid's – yeah. I think he's got – I think he's got elite arm talent. I think he's got a great head on his shoulders. I think he's got really nice size, and I love his mentality. I was going to say, I think uh, from the shoulder up, I think that kid's got it. Uh, for, to be a quarterback, you've got to be, you got to be almost borderline cocky 
but you, like if, if you're cocky, you're not, you know, that's, that's a struggle, but when you're confident uh, and, and you know, you can, you can play the position and, and make the throws and then your arm backs it up. Uh, and the kid just has been a leader so far. So I'm right there with you. It's, it's, uh, it's weird in that he's like a cocky kid. That's like a quiet leader. Like you normally don't see that. Yeah. Yeah. David, what about you? Gosh, uh, you know, again, I think this could be any number of like six or seven guys. Um, Isn't that a nice problem to have? Well, it's a hell of a problem to have, man. I, I'm so excited about this class. Couldn't, couldn't uh, say that a couple classes ago. No, you sure couldn't. <laughs> and it really speaks a lot to the climb. You know, Mike Norvell just, just getting better every offseason. Um, uh, so for me, I'm I'm going to go – Ah, it's tough. It's it's between Luke K, Landon Thomas, and Charles Lester. I'm going to go Charles Lester because I think he's got that attitude and that confidence and that swagger of like a Jalen Ramsey, of a of a Terrell Buckley, of you know those kinds of guys who they they talk the talk and they talk a lot of it, but very few of those guys who talk that much can truly back it up play after play. I think Lester can be that guy. Um, I think he's he's got the size. It, it'll be interesting to see how he can bulk up a little bit without losing that lateral quickness and, and the, the flipping the hips that's so good. And it'll be really interesting to see where they ultimately end up putting him uh, because I do think he's good enough to play multiple positions in the secondary. But uh, I don't know. There, there's just something about him. He's just got that, that swag about him that I wouldn't bet against him. So I'm, I'll go Charles Lester. And you know what I love that I heard Mike Norvell yesterday. He said, Charles Lester is one of the smartest recruits I've ever dealt with. Like you can see the physical talents, but when you hear someone like Mike Norvell, who you respect say something like that, it kind of takes you back a little bit. It's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Two more questions for you guys, David, I'll start with you. Which recruit do you feel like is most overlooked, not getting the attention that they deserve? Probably Jake Weinberg. Um, anytime you sign the best kicker in the country, I mean, it's, it's, that's something that is important to note. And, you know, FSU has signed some really good kickers out of high school and, you know, some of them have panned out. I, I think more of them have probably panned out than not, but, uh, Jake Weinberg by several sites is considered the best consensus kicker, uh, in the country. And certainly at the time he committed to FSU, it kind of wasn't close. Like he was the top guy when he committed to FSU and there really wasn't a clear number two. Um, so I think naturally he's going to be overlooked. And then if you're looking for more of a traditional um, position, probably a guy like Ty Hilton. Um, don't talk about him a lot, but he is somebody that the coaches absolutely love. Um, Atkins, Norvell, they, they glow when they talk about him. Um, and Josh uh, was chatting with, with us in the disc and the, um, the, uh, uh, Slack channel and said that um, Hilton may be a guy actually who can train at center, uh, which would be really exciting. So I'll I'll say Hilton for the more traditional skill players. Yeah, David, touch Gosh. on your Weinberg point. It's interesting that the the staff brought him. You know, they're looking at a kicker last year, and Weinberg actually was one of the kids that came in, and they they saw him kick. They're like, well, maybe we should just wait and like sign this kid next year because this is the best kid at our camp this year, and that's yep. what they ended up doing. So that that's cool to see. Um, I was actually going to mention Hilton as one of those guys. And the other one I want to say is Denas White, who you guys touched on earlier. Like, I think Hilton and White should both be blue chip prospects. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, recruiting rankings are never perfect. And you're always going to have those kids that are 
that are under underrated, but it really feels like White, especially. Like I don't understand what what the knock is and, and why he's not rated higher. I mean, he was very high on Florida State's board, and in fact, you know, I think some of the rumors were that there were a couple other kids rated higher that they were like, no, we're good with White, and, and that's who we want to target and go with. So that's a good point, Tim. And I, I think we should <laughs> mention that. You know, FSU at one time was evaluating um, Nasir Johnson. Artavius Jones and Denos White, and they stopped recruiting Nasir Johnson and Artavius Jones and went all in on White. So that that should tell you something right there. Well, it also, it also might have had something to do with Nasir Johnson being out of touch since Georgia was going after him. But <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. I, I will say that I like White a lot. I, you know, let's put it this way: like I like White, and I think Parrish is solid. But I wish those weren't the top players at their respective positions like if if white's your number two and paris is your number two then you're doing really well at those two positions but yeah. those are your lead dogs and then i think you're struggling at those two positions in this class yep yep definitely definitely all right guys last question and then let's let's talk about what needs to be fixed uh which player do you think sees the field the quickest not on special teams uh josh i'll start with you uh, offensively, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with my guy, Landon Thomas. Uh, the tight end room isn't that deep. And I think that much of him, especially since he's willing to block, uh, Chris Thompson talked about that. Um, defensively, I'm going to go with Charles Lester, just because I think that he's probably the most college ready on that side of the ball. All right, David. Yeah, I, I can't, uh, it, Josh is right on Landon Thomas. And then I think, uh, you're going to see Cam Davis get into that running back rotation immediately as well. Um, and then on the defense, it's to me, it's got to be Charles Lester and Jamari Howard. I think those are the two who are the most ready uh, for college, um, the rigors of college ball and everything. I think those are the two who will adjust the fastest. And um, yeah, it's it's going to be I'm, I'm really interested to see how the position battles happen in the defensive backfield this year. I think this is going to be the first year we've seen under Mike Norvell where you have enough depth and talent uh, at just about every position to where there can be some legitimate competitions. And I think you're going to see some older guys end up transferring out uh, because some of the younger guys are going to beat some of them out. Yeah. It's crazy to think, you know, as much as we talk about Norvell and the transfer portal, um, you know, and you've still got Cypress potentially back there. I don't know what he's going to do this off season, but the defensive back room now is, potentially maybe the most homegrown stacked position on the team. Um, When you talk about uh, AZ Thomas and you talk about uh, Hussey and Knowles and Shaheem, and and then, you know, and and Edward Joseph who was injured and didn't play a whole lot and young, but then you're bringing in this whole class here. Like this secondary is going to be really scary here in about a year or so with just some elite talent back there that we haven't had at Florida state since the Jimbo days. Yeah. And a couple of, couple of kids that I wanted to shout out from last year's class. I think Quindarius Jones has an incredibly high upside yep. and KJ Kirkland was, was fighting to play until he got injured early in camp. And I think KJ Kirkland's got some nice potential as well. It's a great problem to have. Uh, it's nice to see Florida state uh, building up on that. So I, you know, again, we're not going to be sunshine pumpers. However, we do think great class overall. As as much as there was disappointment in yesterday with with the KJ Bolden and over the weekend what's happened with with Blunt and other things like that. This is Mike Norvell's best class. This is a top ten class. 
you know, th there's potentially other kids that will jump on by the, you know, not as much as it used to, but now the early signing day is over, you know, Florida State still has some eyes on the other. And we haven't even really touched on the transfer portal, which is probably a whole other podcast. So overall, a very successful day. Uh, but we do need to address some other things. But before they do that, I know, Josh, you got one more thing. I just want to go around the room and, and give our grades of the class just overall. I, I'm sure. going to say A minus is my grade. Yeah, I'm, uh, gonna, I'm yeah, kind of waffling between A minus and B plus just because, again, I think um, defensive line and, and linebacker are just glaring misses overall. But I, I think, to me, it buoys out by the wide receiver class, the defensive back class quarterback tight end running back i i think i'm gonna go with a minus yeah uh, i'll i'll be a b plus only because of the defensive line um you know you threw you you at least threw bodies at the offensive line but you really didn't throw bodies at the defensive line which i think we're going to talk about here in a minute uh you know i don't know really what to think of a flag um you know i know that's odell's guy i know they like fishing together or whatever it is and everything, but I, I, you know, I, I would love to be proven wrong there. And so maybe he really comes on strong, but like to Josh's point, if flags your number three, you know, and you got white plus somebody ahead of him, then you know what? You're probably pretty happy with that class, but for it to be just white and flag, um, that that's probably why I say a B plus more than an A minus. Totally fair. Yeah, and, and 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 again, like it's white and flag. Last year was KJ Sampson, who's a nice player, but you only took one. And the year before that, it was Iotafase, who's gone, uh, Bishop Thomas, who's gone, and Daniel Lyons, who we all love. But again, there's only one guy. Yeah, yeah. And, and so let's start right there, Josh. So I, I think what needs to be talked about is. When you go and you look at Georgia and you go and look at Alabama and, and and even Clemson, maybe not this last year or the year before, but defensive line especially, they're going to take four or five of those big guys and, and they're going to throw them out there and they're going to basically let the best man win. And, and you know what? If you don't make it, that's fine. Stick around. We'll get you in the rotation or find a new home in the portal. And, you know, I, I think – Coaches like Kirby Smart and and Nick Saban, they're okay with that cutthroat mentality, for lack of better words. And I, I know Norvell really wants to cultivate a little bit of a different mentality. And, and I almost wonder, does that hinder him and, and that makes them more choosy and that they're not throwing enough bodies there? Do you think that's what it is, Josh? Or, or do you think that it's just uh, poor execution on their part? I think I think probably the biggest thing. Well, there's there's a couple factors. I think poor execution has to be. I think it's more that than them being too nice or whatever. The other thing is they had like before these last two seasons, Florida State was really down for a while since yeah. what 2016 or whatever, whenever Jimbo left. 20, yeah. And that the entire Tiger era was a disaster, and and the start of Norvell with COVID and his struggles at the beginning were disaster. So like it has been hard to, to recruit overall. And like, I think in the trenches, you're really going to see that recruiting pick up as Florida state starts to have success on the field. And that's usually one or two classes after that. So let me, let me pose this part of it. You mentioned there's a couple issues there and David, I know you and I have talked about this. I, I think what uh, Papuchas is, is 
performing on the field, you can't argue with what Florida State's been doing at defensive end. You know, Jared Verse, first rounder, most likely. Jermaine Johnson, first rounder. You know, Pat Payton, ACC Rookie of the Year type. Uh, you know, most deflected passes. Uh, you know, you you even saw other players uh, take a step forward. So you can't argue with the on the field production. However, defensive end recruiting has has suffered from the high school ranks. And I think we were talking about it beforehand. You know, your last few uh, recruits have been uh, Josh. I think you were naming it off. You had Boots. You had Jaden Jones. You had. D.D. Holmes, go ahead. And the class before that was Aaron Hester, and that was it. Like I, We like Aaron Hester, legacy kid, talented. I'm not sure he has the size to play defensive end. He's kind of maybe a tweener at this yeah. level. Might need to go to a 3-4 and play linebacker somewhere else uh, in, at the end of the day. But, yeah, like that's just yeah. that's just not good enough. Yeah, like, it, I, I, I honestly like D.D. Holmes. I think he could be a Patrick Pay- Payton clone with maybe a little bit more weight. I think he actually has a better frame than, than Payton did coming into college. But – that's it. And then, you know, you missed out on an LJ McCray and an Armando Blunt, like two kids that yeah. could have at least started it and maybe moved inside after a couple of years in college. Yeah, David, and, and to, com- to compound on top of that, defensive tackle has been, been a struggle as well. And so, you know, David, I think you and I talked about you, it's okay if Papuchas is this stud on the field, but that means your, your defensive tackle coach has got to be a stud off the field. And unfortunately, I don't know if those days are are in front of Odell anymore. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. I you know if if you're going to have five position coaches on each side of the ball, uh, that means inevitably you're going to have you know most likely you're going to have uh, two guys working with the secondary, and you're going to have two guys working with the defensive line. And so anytime you have overlap between two guys, whether it's, you know, different positions, cornerback safety or defensive end, defensive tackle, however you want to do it, one of them has to be a really good recruiter. And you, you can't, you know, when you look at the, the FSU staff as it is right now, I think, you know, this cycle, I've, I've really been thinking hard about this cycle because there's, there's a narrative out there that I personally believe is a lazy narrative that, um, you know, oh, this this cycle was just like the other ones. And there's, you know, Mike Norvell and his staff are having the same problems they've had all along that, you know, as, as far as I'm concerned, this cycle was very, very different with the elite kids. And it wasn't just at Florida State. I mean, you saw Ohio State get hit hard. I mean, UF got absolutely decimated. Georgia lost the the best you know, quarterback. I mean, it, it happened to almost everybody and the amount of money that was changing hands this cycle some of the numbers we've heard are just i mean it's absurd and if this trend continues within the next few cycles of recruiting you're going to have entire position groups that are making more money than their assistant coaches are making and i mean this is it is what it is we'll call it what it is it's just different and it's money matters more than it ever has for the top tier guys um you know, I'll, I'll plant my hill and die on this hill that relationships are always going to matter in recruiting, no matter what. You have to have a relationship with the guy you're playing for, with the guy, you know, your position coach day in, day out. You have to have a relationship with that individual to be successful. And so relationships are always going to matter. But in this cycle, this year with the elite prospects, 
relationships mattered a whole hell of a lot less. Um, I still think they mattered because, you know, I, I see people out there saying with Jeremiah Smith, oh, it was all about the money. It was not all about the money. It was about Brian Hartline. And we said that time and time again, that the key to him sticking with Ohio State was Brian Hartline. Brian Hartline stuck with Ohio State. Then on top of that, the astronomical money that he's going to get paid, uh, those two things combined are unbelievable. Um, you know, and same with K.J. Bolden. I mean, we found out that when K.J. Bolden went to Syracuse, the whole time he was at Syracuse, Fran Brown, Syracuse's new head coach, who used to be Georgia's defensive backs coach, the whole time they were talking about Georgia. They weren't talking about Syracuse. They were talking about Georgia. And so, you know, relationships are always going to be a component of this. But this cycle really showed us that when you're talking about recruiting the upper crust, like the truly elite, you know, top 20, top 15 kids, if you don't have the NIL set up and you don't have that money, you're not going to get a seat at the table. And that's what happened. That's, you know, apparently with Jeremiah Smith and KJ Bolden, FSU kind of got shut out at the very end and FSU was in very good position um, in November after Jeremiah Smith uh, visited for the Miami game. We, we thought that he was going to give a silent commitment to Florida state. There were some who thought he did uh, now some things happened and, and that got spooked and, and things changed, but um, FSU was in great position for him. I mean, KJ Bolden, nobody thought that FSU was going to get his commitment and they did. And so that speaks a lot to relationships, how much they matter. But when it comes time for closing, you know, just having a staff full of ace recruiters isn't going to get it done anymore with these top flight kids. Um, you know, it's, I, I hate to paint everybody with a broad brush because you're always going to have, you know, every cycle, you're going to have the Derwin Jameses, you're going to have the Charles Lesters who, you know, they're, they're not just going to chase the money. They're more about relationships and all that kind of stuff. So I don't want to paint all these kids with a broad brush, but we saw a lot of top prospects get bought this year and you know we're we're seeing these stories come out afterwards oh it wasn't all about the money it, it wasn't all about the money it's it's about the money and you know it's it's essentially free agency without a salary cap and, and I, I don't want to dovetail too much into that but you know again back to the original point I, I think that this cycle proved and the last three cycles combined of FSU losing its top commitment at the tail end of the cycle there is a narrative out there that you know, how is Mike and his staff handling the negative recruiting? Are they just taking the high road and, and doing that? Or are they actively combating it? And there's some room for growth there. There's absolutely some room for growth. And I think after the cycle, Mike Norvell really needs to take a very hard look at the composition of his staff. And it's hard, right? Because you just went undefeated. You won the ACC. <laughs> you're 13-0. to I mean, you're going to the Orange Bowl when you should be going to college football playoff. So that gives you all the leeway you need to just say, no, we're going to run it back. It's all about consistency. We value consistency. But I really hope that Norvell will, will take a strong look at some of these guys because it's very clear to us that there are some assistant coaches on this staff who are, quite frankly, I, I don't like saying this, but they're dead weight on the recruiting trail. And it's okay if you have one or two guys who are that way and you have other guys who can cover for them. But there's too many of that. And, and I think it's very clear this cycle that uh, Mike Norvell cannot do it himself. I mean, he, he makes us believe sometimes that he can do it all himself. He's an incredible guy, but he needs help. And, and I really hope that he'll get more resources. Um, I really hope, I really, really hope that 
we will see some significant changes to the off-field staff because um, there have been some significant disappointments on that uh, aspect of things. So, you know, we'll see what happens, but it's it's going to be really telling to see does Mike, you know, value consistency and and running it back, or does he take that hard line approach that the Sabins, the Kirby Smarts, those kinds of guys take of you know, hey, I, I may have coached with you for X amount of years and we're brothers and we love each other's families and all that kind of stuff, but you're not getting it done. And I have to upgrade this position to get us to the next level. So it's going to be really interesting to see what Mike does with it. I think we all hope that he's going to do something a certain way, but only time will tell uh, to see if that happens. I don't think Mike Norvell can take another year where it's all on him just because of the rapid pace at which he's aging. <laughs> oh my god that press conference I, I, he, and and i know he said you know the past couple weeks have been the the toughest weeks of his life and it shows all over his face and yeah something's got to change because he just i i'm i'm legitimately worried about you know him doing this too much because he he'll burn out yeah and, and i do want to talk about the the whole overall arching theme and and what needs to change but you talked about the last two weeks being the hardest of his career and that started with the, the college football playoff snub, yeah. which I think, at, I mean, David, you can talk to this, but I think that had a huge impact on K.J. Bolden's recruitment. Absolutely. And other recruitments as well. I mean, it it just when you have a monumental decision like that and it doesn't go in your favor, it just it kills it kills any sense of positive momentum or, or any sense of that. And it invites so many different negative recruiting topics that can be used against you and quite frankly that are valid it is so easy for someone at auburn to say you know yeah we absolutely sucked this year we lost to some really crappy teams this year but at least when we go undefeated when i get my program the way mike norvell has gotten his program we're not going to be left out of college football playoffs we're going to get one of the top seeds because we're not in the acc and so it's it's so frustrating and and it was unprecedented for so many different ways and I'm so glad to see so much of the nation taking note of this and, and calling out the, the hypocrisy and the garbage that this was. But, you know, when you when you do everything humanly possible and you put together a perfect season and it's still deemed not good enough, that has a significant impact on top players, um, on guys who who care about those kinds of things and. We saw that with Bolden. I think that it also um, definitely had an impact on Jeremiah Smith. Um, I don't think, uh, you know, Armando Blunt was just, we. anybody who followed Tomahawk Nation should not have been surprised by that. That was just kind of written on the wall. But it, it really hurts your chances with that. And, you know, it's, it's sad to say, but we were talking about it in the Slack channel. Some of the guys in 2025 that are on this elite level that we really felt good that FSU was going to be able to land, this is probably going to impact them too. And so we'll, we'll see how that shakes out and how the staff combats it. But you're absolutely right, Josh. I mean, I, that was, I don't want to say a death knell because it wasn't a death knell, but it definitely put a major um, bucket of cold water on the, the efforts that FSU was doing. Yeah. And, and, and coach Norvell yesterday said that, you know, someone asked him about the negative recruiting and said, well, like if guys are negative recruiting you, it's because they don't have something in their program that they need, which is true. But I think Florida State and, and Novell absolutely have to do a better job combating the negative recruiting. That's that's one one point there. Um, I think that the staff, the way it's currently composed, 
before all this big money came into college. I mean, money's always been in college football, but before it really got out of control with the NIL and what's really actually now pay for play. I think this staff that's currently composed would have been great back in the day when relationships were all that really mattered in recruiting. I think, I think great guys, personable, get along very well with parents, um, great coaches. I think they would have recruited amazingly back in the nineties. The um, when you look at the last couple classes with Falk, Bolden and Blunt, they all went and played for the home team. Their parents had major, major factors as far as maybe the parents were the ones making the decision for the kids on all three of those. And they all went and made more money somewhere else. So yeah, it does suck to lose those kids, but those are three factors in those recruitments. And I, I personally love the culture that Mike Norvell has built Florida state football. And I'm, I'm more than fine to not overpay for high school kids. And I know we, we might disagree about Jeremiah Smith and how much he's worth and whatnot, David, but I love what, what Norvell's built and I'm fine to not overpay for those kids. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that overall. I do think that if you are going to drop a ton of money on an unproven high school kid, Jeremiah Smith is that guy. I mean, he's the he's the best wide receiver prospect come out of high school easily in a decade. Um, he's definitely the best since Julio since uh, Julio Jones, and I mean, he could even end up being better. But again, he's also a torn ACL away from being a nobody, and so you know you have to factor those things in. And, and something else that I've been really thinking hard about is, you know, when you think about, um, I'm not going to include Travis Hunter in this, but when you think about Falk and you think about Blunt and you think about uh, Bolden and and you even you know look further and you you think about Nigel at Kelly and and uh, Ruben Bain and and these guys that you're sinking a lot of resources into and and potentially finishing in second place it begs the question what what is the strategy here like uh, are you is your program and is your NIL healthy enough to where you can overcome those distinct advantages of the hometown team of the, you know, trying to pull a kid out of a state like Alabama or Mississippi or Louisiana or things like that, that, that is notoriously difficult. As, and that's not even talking about South Florida and the crazy recruitments that come out of that. It begs the question of what, what is the strategy here? Because if you don't have ACE recruiters getting you to the table where you are then at the table and that's when, you know, the battles end and, and stuff like that can come into play. Why are you sinking so many resources into these recruitments? Um, so I think that's another question that, that is fair to ask, you know, Norvell and all that. Like if you're going to target a guy like Falk and put all those resources into it, why don't you have a lot of, you know, plan AA or plan B guys who are in closer proximity or who don't have that kind of hometown pull so that inevitably, if you do miss on a guy like that, you're not totally screwed at the position. I, and I do think, like we said, you know, missing out on KJ Bolden, I, if you're going to miss out on somebody and have a decommitment, defensive back is exactly where you wanted it this year. So I think the staff did a really good job fleshing out that entire position group. But it's the same thing with Armando Blunt. Like, you're putting all your eggs in that basket when you know there's a really good chance he's going to flip back. Why aren't you spreading the resources in the net and stuff like that? So I, I think that's a legitimate question, too, because especially in the trenches, if you put all your eggs in one basket on one guy, 
if you get that guy, great. That's fantastic. You know, like we said, if, if Jamori flag is your number three guy, you're doing pretty well, but when you don't get him and, and this is what you're left with, it can set you back. So I think that's another question that the staff really needs to look at and answer is that kind of strategy. I will say there is, there is a positive to having Travis Hunter and having KJ Bolden committed for as long as they were to Florida state. And that they drew other talented players to Florida state and it's better to have them committed and have them decommit on signing day than to never have them committed at all. Or have them decommitted at a much earlier stage in, in the, uh, in, in the cycle. Um, you know, David, you bring up a good point. I know we're, we're getting closer to an hour, so we need to cut it off here soon. You bring up a really good point. You know, you think back to Taggart, the, the criticism we gave Taggart was they targeted all their A people and when they missed them, they had nobody else. And while Norvell's not quite there, um, there there are certain positions like linebacker or defensive end or defensive tackle that they haven't had those plan B guys. And luckily, they've been bailed out by the portal. Or I think we would almost be in a similar tag-like situations when it looks when we talk about roster management. So um, my my main thing here is. And and then I'll stop kind of, you know, beating on this drum here is um, I think Mike Norvell and his staff are amazing talent evaluators and they get a ton, a ton of credit for what they're developing their, their team into. Yes. But I think it it's easy to fall into the trap of I can take anybody and make them a stud and and it's much easier to make studs out of the elite than it is out of those, those next tier kids. And so, you know, Mike Norvell has preached and preached and preached. The standard is the standard and how you do anything is how you do everything. And so while that seems to be applied to how they're coaching and evaluating and developing, I think Norvell needs to take a long, hard look at his own staff and think from a recruiting standpoint, are my guys, you know, is this team, you know, doing the very best that they should be doing? And if not, he either needs to raise that, that, that demand that they should, or he needs to uh, pull a coach Marvin and find them a new home and, and bring on somebody else. that's going to, to be there because it, if, if that's the message, then it needs to be the message in every aspect of the program. Yeah, and, and if you feel like, hey, I've got the 10 best on-field coaches I can have for everything, you need to up your off-field staff and make sure that they are going to kick butt on the trail and make sure that they're targeting the right people and they have backup plans and they know the depth chart at every position and what you need to be going after. Absolutely. And if you you know have decided that you personally – do not want to address negative recruiting. You don't want to get down in the mud with the head coaches who do it. You damn sure better hire some guys who will do that because you have to combat it in some way, shape, or form. And so yeah. it doesn't have to be Mike Norvell. He can still be that high character guy that's above the fray, all that. That's fine. But you got to hire some guys who are not afraid to get down in the mud. You got to you got to get some killers. That's right. <laughs> got to get some sharks. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, guys, I, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was a, a good recap, a, a high level overview of of what Florida State brought in. I mean, it's a very successful class. It's one that 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 
fans should be happy with despite the the the, the haunting signing day trend that's occurred and and I think Norvell and his staff uh much better than what they've done in the past and, and I'm hoping they'll uh they'll be confident enough to make some of the changes we've talked about but uh Josh David before we close it out any, any final thoughts anything else you wanted to say uh before we we call it a night uh I'll just say that they just went 13 and 0 and essentially other than getting screwed made the college football playoff with a bunch of three stars on their roster and like this this class right here is a lot better than a lot of the players that they would have had on that roster like you keep bringing in classes like this, obviously, as we've mentioned, like there's certain position groups that need to be better addressed, but you keep bringing in 68, 70, 75% blue chippers, along with bringing in great kids from the portal, you're going to be in pretty darn good shape as, as long as you get out of the ACC sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, I really want to echo that. I, I really want to echo that we need to focus on the 22 guys who did sign with Florida State. Uh, with 23, actually, because Marvin Jones Jr. Sap, sapling, uh, sapling is is with us now, too. Um, but really, really dive into these kids. Look at their highlight reels. Look at their character. Look at that stuff. Um, I will say one of the things that has really been irritating me uh, of late is this whole notion of, well, Florida and Miami both signed five stars. FSU didn't sign a single five Who? Oh, my God. St- stop with that. Just stop with that. Seriously. If you sign one five star but you signed 17 three stars. Like, come on, man. Like this is a team sport signing one five star doesn't mean you're going to be a five star program. So with that, don't focus on the five stars and FSU missing on five stars. As we mentioned, there are four guys in this class who at one time or another were ranked as five stars. There is one guy who the only reason he is not a five star in Luke Cromenhope is because one of the recruiting services was stubborn and decided not to to you know basically say that they were wrong when they kept him at a three star for so long. Like it's there's much more that goes into that. And so trust the coaches and that they've decided these are the guys that are going to fit the culture. Great band brand ambassadors going to be great on the field. Don't get lost in the number of stars by a kid's name. All you have to do, if you're that worried about how many five stars a program signs, look at what just happened at Texas A&M. Look how many kids just entered the transfer portal and how many stars are next to each one of their names. It doesn't mean as much as y'all think it does. Well, guys, thanks so much for jumping on. Uh, it was it was nice to get away from the Louisville drubbing in the basketball game. So uh, you guys distracted me from that. So uh, uh, not that I'm a Louisville fan. I, I didn't, I didn't mind seeing it happen, but uh, it was, just. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thanks for, for, for spending your evening with me, guys. Thanks for taking time to get some information for the fans. I encourage everybody to go out to Tomahawk nation, check out the official recruiting thread. David and Josh are always plugged in there, uh, ready to help provide guidance and questions and uh, just a lot of good information. Uh, we'll have this out on the, uh, oh, man, All Knowles Network or whatever it is. I'm sorry, Perry, whatever you've got it called now. I, I apologize. <laughs> but uh, uh, check us out there. Check us out at Tomahawk Nation for David Stout, for Josh Pick, for the Tribe 24 Early Signing Day Recruiting Podcast. We are the three stars. This has been the Florida State of Recruiting. Let's keep climbing. <laughs>